Hey everyone. Jody's away, so the kids have come out to play. Three weeks in the hot seat, so have a sip of this. I've really enjoyed sinking my teeth into Peter's second letter. Um, so many good things, so many good things. Um, to sort of paint uh, a big idea for you, we need to keep growing and be on guard as we wait for Jesus' return. And so you see that come up every now and again, but I'm very excited. And I hope that God uses these words to encourage you tonight. So before we spend time in God's word, why don't we pray and ask him for help? Dear Lord, thank you so much that you've given us your word. I pray that you would help us to see how wonderful Jesus is and that we should be growing more like him every single day, Lord. I pray you'd help me not to get in the way of your word, but you would help people to see it for what it is and that they can see the treasure in it and the wonderful grace that has been shown in the divine power of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Where is God calling you? What's God's purpose for your life? Where does he want you to go next and what does he want you to do? Where do you think that God is calling you right now? People feel called by God to do all sorts of things, don't they? Some people become ministers, mothers, missionaries. Some people plant churches, start businesses, leave jobs. They have kids, move house, and change career, all because they felt that it was God's calling on their life. And if someone is convinced that they've been called by God to do something, where they're going to do whatever it takes to get there, won't they? They're going to make every effort. Because the word calling is so powerful, isn't it? Because it's grounded in God-given purpose. If someone feels like they've been called to be a missionary over in Tanzania, it's almost as if God himself has tapped him on the shoulder and said, this is my purpose and plan for you. And what are they going to do? Go straight over to Tanzania, and they're going to love it. But have you ever felt called by God to do something like this? To pursue something wonderful and grand and purposeful? Oh, a bit of a confession here. Um, I've never really felt called to do something like that. But is that just because I'm not spiritual enough? Do I need to tap into something so I can access this? I mean, yeah, sure, I make plans about the future and good things that I should do. But how do I know if that's God's calling or just my plans? Over the last few years, um, as I've sort of thought about ministry and ended up where I am now, I've had a bunch of people warn me and say, you shouldn't use this word calling because it's so powerful, but it's often misunderstood. Now, I want to say, don't hear me wrong. If someone feels like they've been called to overseas mission, 
God bless them, you know? That's wonderful. That's an awesome thing to do. But if someone says, I feel called, I would just want to caution them from using that word. Because how can they be sure? Um, What if it all falls apart and the mission doesn't work out? Does that just mean all of a sudden, oh, actually, that wasn't God's calling? Or what if you feel called to marry someone? Like I know people who felt that. And the person just keeps saying no. Every time you ask them out on a date, I mean, are you just going to keep doing it until they say yes? What, what's the play here? Or what if someone feels like they're being called to quit their full-time job and pursue ministry, but the whole thing ends up as a complete train wreck? The word calling can almost be used as a trump card, can't it? Like, oh, yes, thank you for your concerns, um, but God, (laughs) the God has called me to do this, so I appreciate your two cents, but he's in charge, so why don't we just take that up with him? But thankfully, God has given us this chapter in 2 Peter, because in it we find out what it really means to be called by God. Turns out... It's not a calling to a particular ministry, person, place, or career. And it's not for the spiritually elite either, so I'm all good. Um, It's actually for everyone. So all of us. So where is God calling all of us? God is calling us to Jesus. And this calling... It's so much more wonderful and grand than any ministry or mission or career. It's to the divine and loving Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see in this sort of first chunk of chapter 1 is Peter's reminder that every believer's God-given calling is to Jesus. He reorientates followers of Jesus with this sort of rich gospel package in the first 11 verses, and he reminds them what the Christian life is all about. Peter wants them to know that following Jesus is a wonderful journey with an even better destination. Followers of Jesus don't sit still. They're moving along on a journey along a wonderful path to an even better destination. And the reason Peter wants to start off with this sort of gospel package and reminder is because he's writing to followers of Jesus who are being led away, away from this journey and off the path, being steered away from Jesus. They are being poisoned by ungodliness and lies. Poisoned by people who say, just sit still, chill out, man, enjoy life. This isn't a journey. You aren't being called anywhere. There's no big grand final destination. This is it. So, to kick really hard against that and the ungodliness and lies, Peter gives him this punchy little message about what the Christian life's really all about. So, let's hear what Peter has to say. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you, 
who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Saviour. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So right off the bat, we see Peter is writing to fellow believers who have been given faith, and he wants them to really know and experience the wonderful reality of God's grace and God's peace. But how do they get more and more of this grace and peace? Well, in verse 2, we see it's by growing in their knowledge of Jesus. Now, when you hear grow in knowledge, well, what does it make you think of? University, school, sort of academic type stuff, yeah? And sometimes when we think about growing in our knowledge of Jesus, we can think about it as purely sort of an academic, intellectual thing. But if I asked you, how would you grow in your knowledge of a person, like your brother or your sister, or your friend. (laughs) It certainly doesn't seem that academic anymore, does it? Friends, Jesus is a person too. And when Peter talks about knowledge, he's not just talking about knowing all the facts, but the commitment and experience that comes from knowing someone. (laughs) How do you get to know someone better? If we all want to get to know Hugo or Trevor a little bit more, what are we going to do? We're going to listen to them. We're going to spend time with them. And we're going to journey through life together with them. By doing these things with Jesus, you grow in your knowledge of him. And Peter reminds these believers that if you share in this faith that you've been given, you should always be growing. Followers of Jesus are always getting to know Jesus better. But... What makes this all possible in the first place? Well, we see it in verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And we have received all of this by coming to know him. When I was born, you'll be surprised to find out that I started off with two arms, two legs. I got a heart, lungs, the full kit, came fully kitted out. And just like how the human body sort of starts off with everything it needs for life here on earth, so too does the believer start off with everything they need for living a godly life. I mean, it's not like some days I'll wake up without arms or legs, right? And once you really get to know Jesus, so you know him as your Lord and Savior, you will have everything you need every single day. And after Peter reminds the believers of this comforting truth that we have everything we need for the journey ahead, well, he then tells them where they're going. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. Jesus calls us to himself. This is how the Bible uses the language of calling. It's not a specific calling to ministry or marriage or mission. It's Jesus saying, 
come to me. And if you decide to follow Jesus, then you have a purpose and a direction. It's to Jesus. And people who follow Jesus, well, they're not just aimlessly wandering around, are they? Filling up their calendar with whatever. No plans. I'm just chilling here. I'm going to bask in the glory of all these fleeting pleasures and this temporary life. Followers of Jesus know how glorious and excellent that he is. And they make every effort to get to know him better. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Because of Jesus' glory and excellence, he hasn't just left those he loves in the dark, has he? Jesus loves to give. And he has given us these great and precious promises. Well, where can I get them? Where do I find these promises? We find these promises in the scriptures. These promises are the shoes that we walk in every day as we follow Jesus. We lace them up every morning as we get up again for another day of following him and running from the corruption of the world. And apparently these promises are pretty special too because they let us share in the divine nature. Um, I'm sorry, what? What do you mean I get to share in the divine nature? I mean, I thought the thing that makes us different from God, right? is that he's divine and we're completely not. What does it mean that I can share in this nature? Does it mean I'm going to become all-powerful now? Or can I move beyond the limits of space and time, just do whatever I want at the click of my fingers? What does it mean to share in the divine nature? How does this all work, Peter? Well, thankfully he explains to us what it looks like. In view of all this, Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. Peter gives us a list of wonderful qualities that starts with faith and ends with love. And when we really think about what it looked like for God, the divine, to become a man in Jesus Christ, we sort of start to get our heads around what it means to share in the divine nature. Because Jesus, fully God, fully man, embodied all of these qualities Peter's just spoken about perfectly. And this is what Peter means by sharing in the divine nature. To share in God's divine nature is to become more like Jesus. 
And Peter says that we should make every effort to respond to these promises. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word effort, it makes me think of things that are tiring, like hill sprints, or I don't know, something just horrible, or crossfit, I don't know. But if instead of saying hill sprints and crossfit, you said beach volleyball, now we're talking. Well, that doesn't sound very tiring at all for me. It sounds like a lot of fun. And I can assure you that, like hill sprints, beach volleyball is a lot of effort. You're not just standing around doing nothing. You're sprinting around on the sand. You're jumping and you can't even jump because the sand just takes it all away from you. You're falling over. You're getting back up. It's really tiring stuff. But I'm going to continue to tire myself out playing it because I absolutely love it. And Peter is telling followers of Jesus to make every effort towards something wonderful, something that we love. But Peter, how do I make every effort with this list, man? Like, it looks like a bit of a scary to-do list, if I'm going to be honest. And I'm never going to be able to tick it all off. Well, I think it's helpful if we see this as less of a to-do list and more of an ingredients list. Think of these as ingredients that you're putting in your big Jesus hot pot that every believer cooks up as they want to become more like Jesus. So when you're cooking this hot pot, you're going to want to make sure that everything's in it. you got some self-control. You pour that in so you don't give into your sinful lusts and desires. You want to sprinkle in some moral excellence so you reflect the practical goodness of Jesus. You want to cut up and put some perseverance in there so that you can continue to faithfully move along when times are tough. And you want to put in some brotherly affection as you put the needs of others above your own. And of course, you just want to crack open a big pot of love and just pour that whole thing in there all over the place. Because it ties everything together and it just gives it this really nice Jesus flavour, doesn't it? These qualities, these things we're putting into our hot pot They're wonderful, and we should see them as delicious ingredients that we want more of in our life. Being a follower of Jesus is a wonderful way to live, isn't it? To live a life filled with selfless love. I want a life filled with that kind of love, don't you? And if you don't know Jesus that I'm sorry to say you are missing out. Missing out on these delicious qualities and on this wonderful life. So because we love it and we think it's delicious, we're going to want to make every effort. Not just once, but all the time. And the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To those who know Jesus and keep on getting to know him better, keep growing more like him, who keep moving in their Christian journey, they are being productive in their knowledge of Christ. A knife is uh, useful and productive if you can cut things with it, yeah? A follower of Jesus is useful and productive if they continue to become more like him.
The Christian life is a journey. We're constantly moving on and we're always growing to become more like Jesus. Believers are always growing. And know this, friends. Jesus loves to see us grow. He loves to see us grow in godliness and become more like him. It brings him great joy as it does us. But Peter is also aware that not everyone who says they follow Jesus does keep growing. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Peter then makes a really sharp turn here to address those who aren't growing. They've stopped growing. Why? Because they've forgotten that they're on a wonderful journey with an even better destination. They've forgotten where they've come from, cleansed from their sins. And they've forgotten where they're going. They can't see the end of the journey ahead of them. It's like they're on a road trip, heading somewhere, and they just ripped out the GPS and said, oh, we don't need that anymore, and threw it away. If we forget our calling to Jesus to become more like him, our knowledge of Jesus, it's just useless. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. If you make every effort, you work hard at growing in godliness, you're never going to stumble or fall away. And you're going to make it to the final destination, an entrance into the eternal kingdom where you've finished your journey because you'll finally be with Christ. How great will that day be to see Christ face to face, to be home? And what a great comfort this is to us. That's it. There's no extra tricky steps that we need to be aware of. Just keep moving along, keep growing, and you're going to reach the final destination. Jesus' eternal kingdom. Where you're finally going to be free from your sin and entirely and fully embrace the divine nature. Now, in this verse, when it says, in verse 10, when it says proving, or ESV uses the word uh, confirming for your calling... I think it's really helpful to realize that it's not like how we'll confirm uh, an appointment with the dentist and we just text why to reply and we'll lock that in. And it's not like how we'll prove who we are by showing up and flashing our ID and yet you're good to go. Proving or confirming you're a real believer, um, that you really know Jesus, well, it's not a one-time thing, is it? You prove your calling to Jesus with a lifelong response. It's helpful to parallel to marriage, say. See, I prove and confirm my marriage every day I wake up and continue to be married to my lovely wife. I'm proving and confirming something that is already in place. 
I'm not earning my marriage day by day. Um, I'm confirming what is already existing and is true. And if you've been called to Jesus, we need to remember where we were before we knew him. We were face down in the mud of our sins, not breathing, dead. And it was only because of God's divine power that we see in verse 3 that you've been picked up, cleaned off, had breath put into your lungs so that when Jesus says, come to me, you can respond to his call because of the promises that he's given you. And he will bring you home and give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom. And in this little chunk that Peter's given us in 1 to 11, you can see how he's been really stirring the believers up, saying, guys, this is wonderful. Let's make every effort. Because he wants them to know that they're on a journey. They're growing. They're not still or stagnant. They're heading towards God's eternal kingdom. And now after Peter's reorientated the believers, uh, he spends the remainder of chapter 1 explaining why he even wrote this letter and how followers of Jesus can make sure that they don't forget they're on a journey and they don't veer off course, like the people in verse 9. Verse 12, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. Peter knows that he's going to die soon. And he realizes that this stuff is so important that they can never forget it. So he writes him this letter, and bang, we've got two Peter. But why does he remind them of a truth that they're already standing firm in? Yeah? Well, it's because the believer's journey was under threat. Why? Because people were telling them that Peter had made all this stuff up. So Peter says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. People were just heaping allegations on Peter, saying, oh, this special apostle, he was only making up stories about Jesus' coming, about Jesus' return. But my question is, why does Peter see this issue as such an important one to defend? that he addresses it first, right off the bat. I mean, if you read chapter 2, he literally spends the whole time blasting the false teachers. Well, why doesn't he start with them? Well, Peter starts here because Jesus' return is fundamental to everything. What's the point of a race without a finish line? What's the point of this journey without the destination? If there's no eternal kingdom, no new heavens and new earth, then what's this all been about, right? If Jesus isn't coming back, what's the point? 
everything Peter has just spoken about in this little gospel package he had at the start is grounded in Jesus' return. That he will return. Because if he doesn't come back, well, there's no judgment for ungodly living. And all the evil that you and I have seen and experienced, well, it'll just go unpunished. So what's Peter's response to people who say, Jesus isn't coming back? Well, sure, he's going to say, uh, guys, I literally saw him rise from the dead. Okay, I ain't going to lie. And then he ascended up into heaven. So this guy's built different. Okay, if he says he's coming back, he's coming back. Well, he actually doesn't go to the resurrection. Crazy. What are you doing here, Peter? Instead, he speaks about a different event in Jesus' life. Continuing in verse 16. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice of the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so... Peter doesn't go to the resurrection. He goes straight to the transfiguration, which we had in our Bible reading earlier. But if you wanted to prove that Jesus was coming back, surely you would go to the resurrection and the ascension, yeah? Not the transfiguration. Why would he do that? And did you notice he leaves out some key details too? Turns out that uh, Moses and Elijah were there too, but just didn't think it was worth mentioning. Did he run out of room on his parchment or something? Well, I've come to be convinced that Peter actually excluded these details on purpose. And it's so he can focus on the voice that comes from heaven. Because at the transfiguration, the Father, God himself, references two Old Testament promises. Well, the first, they're both in verse 17... The first is when he says, this is my dearly loved son. Uh, He's actually alluding to Psalm 2, verse 7, which says, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. And the second thing he says is, who brings me great joy? Which is alluding to Isaiah 42, which we're in our Bible readings which say, the verse 1, Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one, who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. So what's happening here is that Peter has heard God the Father reference these Old Testament passages and prophecies at the transfiguration God himself confirms that these promises about the one who will rule for eternity, about the one who will bring justice to the nation, these promises are about Jesus. At the transfiguration, the Father confirms who Jesus really is. Turns out this guy is built different. Because Peter, he is God himself with his own ears confirm Jesus as his son. 
This is the guy, the one who will rule and judge the eternal kingdom. Peter heard God say, this is him. He's the one God promised us. God has verified him, so we know he's going to be the one that returns. And because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. The apostles have an even greater confidence in the scriptures, the messages proclaimed by the prophets, as the Old Testament and the New Testament align. The Jesus that we read about in the New Testament is the eternal ruler and judge God promised us from the Old Testament. And Peter says that followers of Jesus need to pay close attention to what they wrote. Pay close attention to God's promises in the Scriptures. Why? Because God's promises in the Scriptures point us to Jesus. Peter points us to the Scriptures because they point to Jesus. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Above all, Peter wants them to realize that no prophet just interpreted God's word as he pleased. And the prophets didn't do that. And Peter, as an apostle, well, he's not doing that either. He's not making up stories. Listen to what he says in our chapter 3. Spoilers for a few, two weeks' time. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Saviour commanded through your apostles, of which Peter's one of them. And he wants people to pay close attention to the Old Testament scriptures and the commands of the apostles, which what are we called 2,000 years later? The New Testament. We pay close attention to them because that's where we find God's promises that point us to Jesus. So, where is God calling you? He's calling you to Jesus. To keep growing in godliness. To share in the reality of his divine love. And if you don't know Jesus, then I'm so sorry, but you're missing out on this. You're missing out on divine love. You're missing out on eternal life. Missing out on knowing the eternal King. So don't miss out. Pick up the scriptures. Get to know Jesus. Listen, spend time with him and respond to his wonderful call. For those of us that have responded to Jesus' wonderful call, remember that you love Jesus and you want to make every effort to fill your life with his divine love. And if you're someone who has been making every effort to do this, thanks be to God for that. How good. But even if you are someone who has been making every effort, even the things we love, like beach, volleyball, can be tiring sometimes. 
Friends, if you're feeling tired from your efforts, I want to encourage you to keep going. There is no greater calling worth exhausting yourself on than Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't promise us that this life's going to be easy, but he does promise us that you have everything you need and that he's going to be with you every step of the way. So keep going. But maybe you haven't been making every effort. Maybe Jesus is a bit more of an occasional thing than the driving force of everything you do. And if this is you, I totally get it. The world is constantly telling us to put our efforts here, there, and everywhere. Anywhere but Jesus. And at times they can seem pretty convincing, can't they? But if after hearing about Jesus' divine love and your God-given calling to him, you want to start making every effort, then here's what I want you to ask yourself. What does one step towards Jesus look like? What pops into your head when I ask you that question? Do you need to spend more time with God in his word, drinking deeply from the scriptures that point us to Jesus? Are there any ingredients that you're particularly running low on in your delicious Jesus hot pot? Patience? Love? Self-control? What does one step towards Jesus look like for you? And don't tell me you can't take that step because God's given us everything that you need to take it. And nobody wants you to take that step more than Jesus himself. He is cheering and powering you along every step of the way. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God who loves to love and wants to see us grow? Don't waste your time making your efforts elsewhere. Give every effort towards Jesus. Drink deeply from the scriptures because our God loves to save and he will carry you through to the end. In verse 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we have been called to Jesus. That because of your divine power and because of your promises, we can know him and we can become more like him. I pray that you would fill our lives with this divine love, with this selfless, sacrificial love, and you would help us to keep growing as we look forward to our destination when Jesus will return. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.